Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, where we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, we will be talking about sketches from Funny or Die and Saturday Night Live. I'm your host, Andy Weld, and today I am joined by Seth Alcorn. Hello. Elizabeth E.K. Kemp. Hi. And our guest for today, Cam Wiley. Oh, is Isaiah on the mic tonight? Yes. Take three. <laughs> wow. Don't worry. Wow. Don't worry about it. I don't know. You're not Just always on. Going. That <laughs> doesn't look on. like white supremacy at all, Andy, does it? <laughs> well, this is a, uh, you know, the, the post article is going to come out, say bad look for bad medicine, and that's it. That's it. <laughs> wow. Wow. The, the caboose on a comedy train is a position of privilege, and don't listen to what any of these guys say. Uh, you earned the spot. The, the strongest joke is always last, Isaiah. Uh, the closer. Are you saying Isaiah's a joke, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Um, let's, uh, let's start with Cam. Cam, can you tell us about, you're coming to us live from uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Can you tell us, uh, can you tell us about your background in comedy? Sure. Uh, well, I'm glad that uh, Sketch Nerds is uh, continuing to go international. I think uh, let's hop an ocean next, uh, but a land border, pretty good, pretty impressive. Uh, so yeah, I'm um, I'm located in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I am mainly a sketch comedy guy. I've uh, I've dabbled all over the place. Uh, I've been doing sketch for too long, not long enough. It's uh, some days it feels like one, some days the other, but uh, roughly 20 years, maybe. So I've, I've seen the scene here uh, ebb and flow, and I've managed to uh, stay a part of it, which is pretty impressive. Um, I got into this, um, uh, there's, a, there's actually a post-secondary comedy program here in Toronto, which I think is a, a rarity at a school called Humber College. And um, one of my best friends uh, went through that program. And as he was graduating, he was wanted to start a sketch comedy troupe. And he asked me to come join him because we were just two funny friends and uh, we loved to laugh and riff and he just wanted to hang out with me. So I jumped in with uh, a bunch of people he knew from his class. And that was my first sketch troupe. Uh, we were called uh, Smells Like the 80s, and we, we, we were around for a little, um, just a little shy of a decade, I think. So we were around for a while. So we were around before we had any festivals in Toronto, and the scene was pretty much, uh, there were shows that would accept sketch acts, but there were no sort of featured sketch nights. So it was very just uh, nomadic. Uh, there wasn't a lot of overlap with troops performing with other troops, you'd kind of maybe see a name in like a newspaper print ad uh, and maybe hear of other troops. But uh, unless you were um, star-crossed and booked on the same show, you would have no idea what your peers were doing. The idea of peers was was a weird idea. Just you knew other people were doing it, but you didn't know what their style was or if you'd enjoy them or not. Uh, so that's kind of uh, where I slid into the scene. Um, what you describe as the style of Smells Like the 80s? Oh, well, well we were just, um, we started out as uh, a group of five, uh, and then we whittled down to a group of three, three white men, and then we just uh, went up to four white men. Um, 
and then back down to three white men and then finish with four white men. So we were a bunch of just like young white guys, uh, you know, and this was, you know, mid 2000s, mid to late. So it was a lot of like, you, you look at the movies at that time. Um, it's a lot is bro humor. Uh, we were just still figuring out, you know, what we were about. We were all just like horny kids. So it was a lot of like sex stuff, a lot of drug stuff, a lot of partying stuff, because that's what our uh, sheltered lives were all about. Um, uh, but we were uh, going back and like reading through some of these scripts. Uh, a lot of them were, uh, you could see slivers of what I still find important in sketch. We did have, make sure like, there were characters that cared about each other. Um, There's a lot of stuff about uh, uh, relationships with parents and family. I mean, what I write now is a little bit more flipped. I take it from like uh, a parent's perspective now, even though I have no kids, uh, rather than from like a child's uh, perspective dealing with weird parents. Um, so uh, we were just kind of figuring out what made us laugh, what was funny. And, uh, you know, it's it interesting to see the evolution uh, as we went on. Our sketches just got weirder and weirder and just bigger characters and kind of away from that sort of like bro-y stuff. So, you know, at the end we had sketches with like, you know, crazy, crazy sea captains hunting whales and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, I've written a ski- sea captain sketch or two in my time. Love the, the o- sea captain sketch. The ocean is full of fish and comedy. Yes. I think all white male comics get there eventually. Like you almost have to get that out of your system. The sea captains get yeah, it's 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 going Ahab. That's what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, smells like the eighties. What comes next? Yeah. Um, well, I ran with the same crew for so long, um, and when you hit that natural point where everyone kind of just wants to go do their own thing, um, you know that's uh, that's a big challenge. I mean, a lot of people just kind of drop off after that. Um, I was lucky enough to, at that point, uh, be fairly involved in the Toronto Sketch Comedy Festival. Uh, and I had met a lot of people. And uh, what's great about these festivals is you get to watch a lot and you got to kind of figure out who is doing the kind of stuff that excites you or impresses you or surprises you. So out of that, you know, I uh, I met uh, I met this incredible comedian, uh, Olivia Coburn, and uh, she was in a similar situation. Her sketch troupe was dissolving. And so we said, hey, let's we we're homeless right now. Let's, uh, let's team up and let's, uh, let's try to write some stuff. So that was awesome. Uh, going from, you know, writing with three other men to writing with, uh, in a duo with women. So I really had to kind of change my writing style and we could approach different sort of topics that, uh, we had done in our previous groups. Um, and so I ran in that duo for a little while. I kind of bounced around with the other people trying to figure out, uh, who I enjoy writing with uh, until I fell into a, um, a larger group uh, called Odette Dumb. Um, and that was just, you know, uh, it was just people who were hanging around after a festival one night and we all agreed that um, how funny would it be if we formed a troupe and just called ourselves the gross dudes and just had the word the gross dudes on every marquee and like pamphlet for the festival literature. And we're like, that's really stupid. We like this. Uh, hey, let's try to write stuff. Uh, and that's where I'm the most comfortable uh, is, um, well, I don't know if comfortable is the right word, but I have the most fun as part of an ensemble. It's, uh, what I love most about sketch comedy as, uh, as opposed to improv or, um, stand-up. It's, uh, it's that group dynamic and, uh, bringing an idea into a group, watching it go through the group and coming out as something, uh, that nobody could have written on their own at the end. Uh, and something that is uniquely this group of, like, five or six people. 
Uh, yeah, and so and then uh, that dumb was our first exposure to you at um, Montreal Sketchfest in 2017, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, we played in the same block. Did you? How did you find out about about Philly Sketchfest? Did you know the people before you went, or was this kind of like a whim? You came across it online and and applied. Uh, we had met um, a bunch of Philadelphia comedians uh, who had come up to do Toronto Sketchfest, and uh, every act that came up from Philadelphia just blew me away. Everything was just so it, it, it had a voice and was distinct, and it had a level of polish that you don't always see uh, what came up from Philadelphia were complete acts, if that makes sense. It wasn't like something that's still figuring it out. It was, it knew what it was and it did it well. And the people were all just uh, so lovely. And of course I wanted to go down and, you know, see their home turf and see what the rest of the people in the town were like. When you say complete acts, um, I think we're going to get to this eventually. The difference between, uh, Sketch comedy in Canada and sketch comedy in America. Uh, it seems like you were shocked by the Philly group. Um, is there is there a difference between the two countries? Uh, y- 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 yeah, yes, yes, and no. Um, I I feel like Philadelphia is a um, uh, a bit of a sister city. We have a lot in common. Um, you know, in the same way that um, everyone in Canada comes to Toronto because they want to be in a place where they can break off and be big in the States because this is the biggest market here right next to a huge market, the United States. Uh, Philly is kind of like that, but like it's close to New York, but it's not New York. And uh, people are like honing their skills. there, getting ready for that next step. Does that make sense to you? Definitely does. So it's like a, like a hunger kind of thing of like people who are like trying to, you know, better themselves for the next step. Is that what you see it as or something? Yeah, I think that's, that's half of it. Um, and the other half is, uh, there is, there's time for acts to develop. Uh, I mean, we're talking about smells like the eighties and the first kind of stuff we rolled out. It was bad. It wasn't great. It was just cutting our teeth, but, uh, you know, I like to think there was potential there in Toronto. There's, only so many jobs and nowhere else to go in the country. So there's a lot of talent in the same place that has that time to work together and figure out what they are. And that's a gift that not every market has, you know, it's a, uh, I can't speak from experience, but I have the impression that uh, in a place like uh, New York or LA, there's a lot more opportunities to sell yourself and a lot more entry level uh, positions. So when you get a job, you're not going to, run with your sketch troupe doing weekly shows for, you know, 10 people at the magnet, you're going to go and do this job. So your path with the sketch troupe dies pretty early. Um, So there's a lot of uh, groups that get together and don't get that, you know, hit that three year mark where they really, you know, are a well-oiled machine. Have you noticed a tonal difference between America and a well-oiled machine by year three? Uh, a more oiled machine, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully you find some more oil over those first couple of years. Do you find there to be a, a tonal difference between Canadian and American sketch comedy? Mm, I mean, you're coming from you're 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 coming from different backgrounds. Um, you know, you're exposed to different uh, influences, and of course, that's going to give uh, a different flavor. Uh, I, I definitely think it just comes more of 
demographics, you know, uh, and sort of the mix of demographics you have in your in your group that's going to, you know, determine what your tone is going to be. So, uh, yeah, I, I could watch an act like unless they're dropping very specific references, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint if they're from Canada or from this, the U.S. Got it. Now, you mentioned in your, your specific involved- references is going to be kind of a theme of this show. Foreshadowing. You mentioned your involvement with um, Toronto Sketch Fest. What's that all about? What's ter- what? T- tell us about for maybe our listeners who wouldn't know what is Toronto Sketch Fest and what's your involvement like in that? What's that like? Um, I'm just going to say this. I think Toronto Sketch Fest is the best sketch comedy festival that's operating right now. Um, is that because they keep rejecting us? Is that what keeps them the best? <laughs> yeah, so you know they're honest. You know they're uh... yeah. They keep the riffraff out, Andy. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> they're the most wonderful gate, gatekeepers in the community. Um, no, they um, they are very um, artist focused. They are um, they are a, they are they're charity first and foremost. So their their mandate is to help develop artists, performance opportunities, and to pay everyone, uh, which we all know doesn't happen uh, everywhere you travel. Uh, it was founded. Um, what are we, like in year 15 of the Toronto Sketch Comedy Festival? Uh, the founders were in a sketch troupe called uh, Boiled Wieners. They went down and did Chicago and were just kind of blown away by this organization and troops getting to cross-pollinate. And they said, we got to come back to Canada and start something. And it started very humbly. You know, it's a, in the back room of a bar over two nights and, you know, six troops were booked in year one. And then uh, I came on in year two as a as a volunteer for the festival because I wanted to find out what it was all about. And then year three, uh, I was performing with Smells Like the 80s. And they've just, they're so focused and they're such great um, leaders um, and business people. And they've just been able to grow this into a much larger thing where, yeah, we can uh, afford to bring in a bunch of uh, amazing headliners to kind of give that clout to the festival and, uh, you know, uh, we can bring in, um, you know, six troops from the States and pay them, uh, you know, to, so that they're not losing all their money to perform two shows in Toronto. Uh, it's a, it's an incredible festival. Uh, I worked with them for a couple years, um, doing programming, kind of being their, uh, artist liaison on site. Uh, that was a wonderful experience. And, uh, now I'm just, um, you know, a f- friend of the festival. Uh, I'm lucky enough to uh, have been accepted, you know, every year since year three. And um, they've been giving me amazing opportunities to do, uh, you know, some solo Cam Wiley shows and putting me in big old venues and letting me really flex my muscles and, uh, you know, uh, punch above my weight and rise to the occasion. That's awesome. I have to say, of, of your, I've seen some of your solo things before, but uh, Isaiah and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, your sketch about struggling to not eat your saxophone, uh, one of my favorites, a very, very funny sketch. Um, what's, what was the premise of that one entirely? What was the... Um, it was um, <laughs> It was based off just like a dumb tweet. Uh, I love Twitter for writing and just uh, putting dumb one idea premises out in the world and then like scrolling through my feed later and being like, okay, what what can what's bulky enough to hold more than one joke. And uh, I think the tweet was like, the hardest thing about playing a trumpet must be putting it to your lips and not being able to eat it. (laughs) Um, 
and so it was a simple it was a simple premise it was um just a, a guy thinking he was suave bringing a bringing a date home and then trying to impress them by playing the trumpet for them and then just struggling with wanting to eat this trumpet and not wanting to be a trumpet eating monster in front of this uh, potential romantic uh, <laughs> partner. And are, are you a trumpet player? Is that, do you? Oh no. Like when you see me struggle to play a trumpet on stage, that is, um, <laughs> that real. is completely <laughs> true. But like the first time I did it, I was so nervous because I've never touched a trumpet in my life. So, you know, I went and like rented a trumpet uh, a month before my show and I'd be walking around the neighborhood going for walks at night with just the mouthpiece trying to like work on my embouchure so I could get a noise out of it. Cause it's harder than you think to get a noise out of a trumpet. It's, uh, you don't just blow into it. You got to like get those vibrating lips. And I'm like, I can't go on stage and just like blow <laughs> silence. I got to get at least some awful squeaks out of this thing. <laughs> So I now I now want to know what neighborhood you live in that like you can walk around with a piece of a trumpet in your mouth and just everyone's just like oh hey Cam oh hey What's it's going a, on it's the Ramses Vale's trumpet man he's harmless it's like, I think that's the Hey Cameron situation that's a Hey Cameron <laughs> yeah is was were you practicing as Cam or as professional professional man Cameron Wiley <laughs> um you, you know I think in that uh, I, I I make a bit of a difference when uh when I'm on stage being like a lunatic I'm Cam Wiley uh, but in my real life when I'm a functioning adult who's very good at living and has a career. I'm Cameron Wiley. So I think in that moment, I'm Cameron Wiley because I'm practicing and doing a responsible thing for my art. Uh, if I was just doing it for fun, then that's a Cam Wiley thing. <laughs> you know, who's like, why would I spend all this money on a trumpet when I can just get the mouthpiece and enjoy it? Before we jump off, I just want you, Cam, to talk about your YouTube and the videos you do, your video guide. You're always putting up video content and it's good. It's really good. So uh, talk, talk about the recent stuff you did this past year. Um, yeah, well, my career is, uh, I, I, I work in like commercial production. I do post-production. Uh, I'm a director. Uh, when I laid into a career, all I wanted to do was make my own comedy TV show. So I want to learn the skills so I could just make my own stuff. And now I'm at a place where, you know, I own enough gear. Uh, I have enough uh, knowledge to do things at like a, a, a pretty, pretty good level. Uh, there's always room for improvement, but, uh, I, I know what the pitfalls are and how to avoid them. So, uh, I'm, I'm very lucky that I'm able to make my own stuff and without having to beg people for gear or help or money. Um, so yeah, it, we're in the pandemic and we can't do live shows anymore. Uh, so just trying to find like outlets for your comedy or like trying to do enough stuff that you still feel okay calling yourself a comedian. Um, I've, I've only produced a couple pieces um you know morale's been low and so i really have to like love an idea to kind of like get started and of course once i get started i fall in love with what i'm doing and remember like oh yeah this is the best so i think over the last year i've done like three pieces that i'm pretty proud of um i produced a um this is a reference that's not gonna hit here uh, i produced uh, an episode of a tv show called uh telefrancais i love is- telefrancais do, do you know what telefrancais is my my middle school french class taught us with telefrancais. That's exactly the Canadian experience. Here in Canada, French, of course, our second official language. So every kid in school has to learn French. And the teaching tool uh, is a television show called Telefrancais, uh, which features a talking pineapple teaching rudimentary French to children. My, uh, my wife and I are constantly saying to each other, la na na pas, la na na ne pas. I mean, 
look it up. It looks like it's something that shouldn't exist. It's a bit of a nightmare show, uh, but it's a real thing that's deeply ingrained in Canadian society. Um, so I, 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 like made, the, I was just going to say, I like that the mascot is a uh, pineapple, a uh, fruit that is associated both with Canada and uh, with the French language. Uh, I think that was a, it was a really good, really logical choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the uh, the talking maple leaf didn't uh, didn't test well. So <laughs> my French teacher would show us that, but then always caution us. She's like, "But this is this is not like a traditional French Parisian accent. This is very much like Quebecois French. Mm-hmm. Just keep that in mind mm-hmm. as you're watching it." It's like I don't, I am never going to get to a level of French fluency where anyone cares if I'm using a Quebecois or a traditional French. I like. It's just never going to happen, and so I don't care, and I'm just going to watch this talking pineapple and do my goddamn best. <laughs> like, well, I, I think the idea is that you you know you go to you go to Paris as an American, and you're trying to be good, you're trying to speak French, and they're looking down on you because you're American, and then you come out with your Quebecois accent, and they just sniff and turn away. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, yeah, I thought not even I that for you is that accent. No, I thought I disliked you before. Yeah. Now you're both Canadian and Quebecois. <laughs> so you were you produced an episode of this? Yeah, it's a and it's a full like you know five to six minutes uh, made as authentically as possible, recreating all of their like little segments. Like they throw to like cartoons and like puppet music videos. Uh, so I made one that's just a little more. It's a little more. Uh, adult and a little more just kind of addressing like the weird reality of like what would it be like to actually have a talking pineapple in like an adult's life uh because all kids in the original so uh that was a, that was a fun one and you know it hit a real nostalgic uh, uh nerve with people so uh people really enjoyed that um i made a uh, a little animated well half animated one about um uh, the Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt working at Subway and how much of a nightmare it would be trying to uh, order a sandwich from him. Uh, and that was a fun one. Just a lot of like keyframing on the jaw to make him talk. Um, and then I, I put out the first episode of a, of a web series I'm working on called uh, called How It Work. Um, and that's pretty much a, a nice distillation of what the Cam Wiley persona is about. It's, uh, you know. So good. So good. He's, he's a high status buffoon, just uh, talking nonsense that with, with such confidence in a way that, you know, it's it feels believable following his like big jumps in logic. But when you stop and think about it for even a second, you're like, no, this guy is wrong. Why is he trying to teach us this? So uh, the first one, um, I worked very hard to get it to two minutes and 20 seconds so I could post it wholesale on Twitter. Uh, and it's just figuring out uh, why onions uh, can be sold for, uh, you know, for 30 cents a pound. <laughs> How can onions be so cheap when so much work goes into growing one? So uh, it's a crash course in economics, and uh, I encourage everyone to go check it out. Invest those two minutes. All right, well, let's get into our sketches for today. Um, we're going to start uh, with uh, Gungan style, open parenthesis, Gangnam style parody, close parenthesis. Now, Cam, you brought us this sketch. Why did you bring us this sketch? Um, when I started thinking about what sketch I wanted to bring today, um, I just kind of wanted to go back and figure out stuff that influenced me and uh there was one recurring theme that i kept noticing in like the three i was 
um, debating sending. And I think this one, I'll talk about it after, like what that theme was, but this one kind of hit it the best. And um, I think this was more of an influence on me than I realized at the time. So this is one that's lived in my mind for a while. Uh, and I just wanted to share it again because I think it's phenomenal. Great. Well, here's a clip. And that's what I get so far. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So why are you doing this? Oh, you know, that Gangnam-style song's really popular and Star Wars stuff always does well online, so... Sorry, I meant more generally. Why are you doing this with your life? I mean, I'm just trying to do something topical. So is this what you want out of your career? Is this what you've always aspired to do? I just wanted to be a novelist. All right, Cam. So uh, you, you you mentioned before we listened to the clip, um, you know, there was a, a heavy theme in what you were deciding between what you wanted to choose. So I think, you know, in some ways the theme of this, you know, can be pretty clear. But what what grabbed you about this one? What what grabs you about this one? Uh, I. I remember the feeling uh, the first time I watched this, like uh, the jaw dropping, like the twists, the turns was so magical to me. And it's something that you can see in, in my shows. Uh, it's, it's something that I love. It's um, it's creating a reality that you make people accept and just say, oh, yeah, this is the world. And then just deconstructing how horrific this reality really is. You know, this video starts off with um, this pretty like mildly funny video you know it's like a three out of ten funny but it's produced so well and it had a budget and a whole crew of people working on it and so much effort went into this thing and then we kind of peel back that layer and see the people who are building this thing and then asking the question so this is what makes you happy huh and then going down into that that sad existential world. I love sadness in comedy. It's the best thing. Uh, sad Sadness and laughter, they're just the two sides of the same shower curtain. They're right there next to each other and just something that can weave back and forth in between them is, it's always a 10 out of 10 for me. And this video I think does it really well because uh, it, gets, it, it gets sadder and then sadder and then it makes you feel hopeful and then it just goes back even sadder and it's then it's just, it ends on sort of, uh, it's presented very happily with like the music and the smiles, but uh, it's like this man's legacy is, <laughs> is an even hackier video that no one in the room is interested to watch. And in his last moments where he will be remembered, no one cares about it. <laughs> and that's the sum of his life. And that's, uh, you know, as a creator myself, that's something I think about a lot. Like. What will I be remembered for? How disposable is my work? <laughs> and how have I have I wasted my life doing all my silly little trumpet man sketches? Maybe, but I like doing them. Uh, I, I was going to say though, at the very end, it seems that he's posthumously satisfied with what he's produced. Like there, <laughs> there's 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 one ghost. guy. There's <laughs> one guy who maybe seems like he's slightly interested, and then. The dude, uh, the creator's force ghost shows up and nods uh, as though he's satisfied at what he's seeing. Great callback. It's a great callback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, 
I mean, that's the thing where it's um, the video is telling you one thing, but when you stop and think about it for a second, like, wait a minute, no, this shouldn't make him happy. He's he's delusional right now. This, uh, I mean, maybe he is, but should he be happy with it? I don't think so. I think he should still be pretty upset. I I think that also like leaves it open to the question of whether there's another uh, level of reality that we're dealing with that hasn't hasn't been shown to us. Because it's a force ghost. Are we supposed to go, okay, well, yes, his force ghost appeared in what we're considering to be the reality of this sketch? Or is he, in fact, is he, as you said, delusional, and now he's imagining this part of it somehow? Seth, I need you to get out of the house. No. (laughs) (laughs) EK, I I wrote about stuff like this when I was in grad school. It's there. It does... And besides, I never leave the house anyway. That didn't change. I was like, oh, I have an excuse now. <laughs> I looked up that uh, Batman that I used to know. I, I don't think it's a real sketch. No, there was a Neither Star Wars that I used sketches. to know, though. But I'm saying he made that to be in the show. He made a sketch for the sketch. Yeah, it, it's he wrote perfect. two sketches for the sketch. Oh, God, I love that. What's like? What's an even more forced reference into a song that's popular at the time? And just a Batman that I used to know is so funny. Uh, the idea that this exists for like three minutes uh, with just such a thin premise and just listing off references—not even jokes, you know. Yeah. It's one of my favorite. I think my favorite line of dialogue in the whole sketch is when the kind of the guy running the conference room says he'll re- be remembered for his. Uh, his passion for topical comedy, which is just like such a dig. It's like, it is a statement, but it's just, it is in some ways, the way he says it makes it sound so horrifically insulting. Um, And they even have that fake splash at the end of like, watch other topical things before it goes to like at the very end of the video. Mm -hmm. That's, that's something I really respect too. If you slow it down, there are more extra jokes baked into this, uh, into this screen. And uh, yeah, if you look over at uh, Plugging My Work Again, How It Work, you got to hit pause along the way. Every time you see a screen, there's something in there trying to imply more about the world that this exists in. And so I love when a video does that, when they uh, just use little tools like that to do a bit of world building. So I, I want to ask you, I mean, are you even set it up in, your, in the email that you sent us sending us this sketch? You, you like your first note is that it takes 50 seconds to get to get to what's happening or to, to get to the actual game of the sketch. How, like, when you're writing something, how do you approach, like, how long you can kind of sandbag the audience in a way or set them up before you actually get to the joke or get to the game? Because, you know, there's some schools of thought, like, you know, like if you take like a, a UCB approach to this, this is like so late in the sketch to talk about anything funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, when you're writing, how are you thinking about that? It's, um, yeah, I respect the hell out of this video for doing it. Um, one of my favorite things is when I would show people this video, I say, this is amazing. You have to watch it. And then just this look of like disdain for the first 50 seconds. Like, why are you making me watch this garbage? But that just is what makes it, uh, you're building that, that tension and that emotion. So when it flips, there's just a much bigger release. And that's deadly to do on video because it's so easy just to like click away or click next uh, when you're doing a live show, you have a you have a little more leeway because you know an audience is often in a theater where they're in a comfortable seat, so they can kind of just zone out if they want. No, no harm, no foul. Um, 
but also there's just more of a, of a, of a presence. People want to watch when you're set up for a show. So even if it's slow, um, you have more time, you can be a little more patient, but it's all about building the correct emotion and the, the tension necessary for the turn and getting the result you want from the turn. What do you need to set up to make that moment impactful? And, you know, if you can do that in 20 seconds, you're golden. If it takes a little longer, um, then that's okay as well. And if you need to do two minutes of bullshit so that your turn is incredible and out there and it's such a release, then you take those two minutes and because no one's going to remember those two minutes. They're going to remember that moment when they were just like their jaw hit the ground like, oh, this is what it's about. Uh, that's what they're going to remember from the show. So, um, I mean, you the, the more you perform, the more the more your sketch IQ builds, the more you, the more you understand what that time needs to be. Uh, but there, yeah, there's, there's no rules. It's whatever serves that emotional moment the the best. Yeah. I think that, I think that makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. And, 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 you know, I'm, I mentioned it before and kind of, you know, question for anyone, but like, uh, you know, they're kind of, they, there is this through element of mocking topical comedy, but like, what is, you know, as, especially as sketch comedians who aren't on Saturday night live being a weekly show, like what is the role of topical topics um you know in sketch comedy is it like i know it's something that we like bad medicine generally tries to avoid you know certainly in the last four years the topical zeitgeist changed so often like what it was what was newsworthy changed so quickly that it was really hard so i don't know what is the role of topicality in comedy or in sketch comedy probably right i mean um I, I write topical jokes, but they go on my Twitter and they're disposable. It's uh, it's when I want to say something about what's going on. Uh, I get it out in the world in a place where people can see it. It's out of me. Perfect. I can move on. Uh, I look at it, at it in a similar uh, fashion to, to you, Andy. Uh, uh, I try to avoid it for shelf life reasons. Uh, if there's something that I love, I don't want it to um, have to go away. Uh, one of my favorite sketches of all time is... Um, it's a sketch following um, three uh, hench people who work for Carbon San Diego and just kind of breaking down the reality of what would, what does it mean to steal the Eiffel Tower? Um, like, you know, what would that look like? Uh, oh, Carbon San Diego asked me to steal the Grand Canyon. How do I steal a hole? I just left a bigger hole when I took it out. Um, but uh, even something like that, like we, we performed that for like five or six years and you could tell like... Uh, there was an audience when we first started who knew Carmen San Diego from the, the classic video game. And then there was a group after that who knew Carmen San Diego from the, uh, from the kids game show. And then there came uh, a generation who had no idea who Carmen San Diego was. And then, you know, the longer that went on, the more, the less people understood the world of Carmen San Diego. So that had to go on the shelf and I miss it dearly because it was real silly and sweet. There's a Netflix show now. Uh, yeah. but you can't bring it back because she's not the villain and that she's the good guy. Oh mm -hmm. yeah, so she yeah. and she doesn't actually steal uh, monuments. I mean, Seth is someone who teaches important lessons about geography ever really a villain? <laughs> I, I'm going to say yes because of the Sudetenland, and I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> right. But uh, but the, there is room for topical humor, though. There there it definitely is. It's it all comes down to like what. What do you want to say as an artist? What is important to you? And if you want to talk about what's going on now and you have something to say, then you 
then you, you, you say it. And it doesn't matter if it's like, doesn't make sense in a year. You want to get a message out into the world right now. So you, you attack what's important to you. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's, uh, I, I think it definitely is something, um, uh, you know, with my privilege, I can afford to just kind of be silly and have silly sketches kind of just follow me around. Um, so, uh, but yeah, you, you say what's important to you and your art reflects wh who you are. Do you um, actually think this is a topical sketch though? I, <laughs> I, no, I think it's parodying topical sketches. Well, when did it come out? Oh, I didn't sketch? think it was did a topical sketch at all. 2011. Well, okay. like, okay. Yeah. Topical insofar as at that time, this was a popular song yeah. and Star Wars is popular, so let's just mash up these two popular things together. People were doing that. A lot of people were doing that. No, but I mean, the structure of the sketch, like those are, you could out. swap out the Gangnam Style parody and the, the other song. Like those, those could be any elements. Like mm -hmm. the real meat of the sketch is that crisis in the middle where it's just like, have I just been completely wasting my life doing this? What, what, I, was getting, <laughs> though, what I was getting at though was that the crisis is about making, or at least in some ways, is about his life being reduced to making topical comedy. And like that, that is, that's oh, where I, I guess maybe I'm projecting my own comedy <laughs> crisis onto it, where I'm just like, every time my mom is just like, how's your little skit group going? I'm just like, am oh. I wasting my life? Like, I own a house. I <laughs> don't care what am I doing? What am I doing with my time? <laughs> I feel so, like responding to her mom, I'm a lawyer, might, uh, might put that down. I have to say that every other day. I'm just like, I have two graduate degrees. I have not wasted my life, mom, just because I'm in a little skit group. As you yeah. but, but this is incredible. Like, here we are a, a decade later after this sketch came out, more or less, I think. Uh, and it's still relevant. It's an evergreen sort of concept. Like, an, is an artist's life wasted? That's a, that's a huge question. Yeah. And I'm sure they, they weren't thinking about that when they made it, but uh, they just knew it was funny to question, you know, uh, they're sitting around a funnier die making videos that they probably think are garbage. And they're like, let's write something about that, how we feel. Should, should we maybe at this point, I'll just like listen to the talking heads once in a lifetime and just sort of <laughs> just try to use that to get okay with ourselves. Is that a good place to go? Is this sketch inside baseball? Is this a, a sketch for sketch comedians? Absolutely, it is a uh, sketch that appeals to artists, uh, but I think it's broad enough that uh, people can understand the message and apply it to their own life. Uh, but it definitely appeals to comedy writers because it's a uh, yeah, it's a little it's a little inside, but it's uh, you know it's a uh, it's specific, but it's accessible, which is the sweet spot for a sketch. I, I would agree, and I, I think I like I watched this with my wife, and you know she has done some comedy stuff, but not a big thing. For her and for her it was like a reflection on she thought was talked about afterwards just the work that she does and like she works for the federal government doing grants like she does a, an important job but she still was having sitting there thinking like is this you know it just causes you to think and reflect which i, I think is a sign of really good comedy you know and not all comedy has to cause you to think and reflect you should just be able to just laugh at some things but your some comedy has never made me think really great what'd you say <laughs> Uh, shots, shots fired. Uh, shots fired. I, I'm, I missed it, and perhaps I'm glad I did. No, yes, just, yes, you are. The, no, you can. Don't worry, Andy. Your comedy has never made me think. That's because we never got to perform dildos, dildos, dildos. Yeah, well, that's true. 
<laughs> it is my most thinkery sketch, and it's intentionally titled Dildos, Dildos. I'm joking, Andy. I'm joking. Um, yeah. So for this, for this sketch, once you get past the parody point and you're in the middle of it, what are the jokes? What's the, what's the funny part? Is it his reaction? Is it the guy saying, what did your father accomplish at your age? Is that the joke? Or is him reacting to everything? kind of the, the thing you're laughing at as you're go as it's just going through it's um that's a great question um because it's um it's the the turn going from that confidence of like i'm proud of this dumb thing i made into exposing that reality and kind of seeing like these additional layers of like sadness and weight put on them and it's you're not so much it's not a laugh, but it's like, it's funny because like, oh no, how much worse can it get? Oh no, that's a good point. Oh, this poor guy. Oh no. Oh no. And you're kind of like, your hands are up and you're, uh, you start to go inward and, uh, and then you, you see him like take all these pills and smash his head and you're like, oh God, no, no, no. And then, um, it, it, it's that emotional journey. Then there's the release when you go back into the, uh, the room with him and his boss. Uh, but that's just another fake out, which, uh, and and you're you're laughing because you're releasing all of these like uh, all of these uh, pent up emotions in you. Like it's a uh, laughter is really used as a release tool to deal with these sort of like these scary emotions coming at you because it's sad and it's scary. Um, but it's 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 a fun journey and it's uh, it's still safe somehow. One of the things I really love in this sketch is how layered it is. As you're getting it, you have your first you have the first video, the first Gundam style parody. Then you have the conversation, then you have what, is it a dream sequence? We later learn, no, it's not, but like the pills and the death, then it's back to the office, then it's to the hospital, then it's to the conference room, then it's the force ghost. Um, and it's the kind of thing that like, one lends itself fantastically to video. Um, and cause sometimes that's something you're thinking about, like, is this something I could produce on stage? Yeah. Prob this this would be hard to do. You'd have to be projecting something, maybe. I don't know. It, it it would be tricky. But this sketch is incredibly layered, but also incredibly easy to follow. Um, and and that is a really hard line to figure out that I think this sketch does really well. There are, there are a ton of jokes in it, though. They're just like to your point about layers. They're visual jokes. Like when he's looking back over his catalog, and he's sort of wavering the mouse over funny or die, and he clicks <laughs> die. And then when he's taking the pills, he really only takes a couple of pills and he slams it with a can of Coke. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they're just like the little details that, like, this is so dumb. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's how you're going to go. That's a huge joke, too. It's like, it's such a serious response over to something that's maybe not worth it. It's like, you don't like your job? Are you, you're going to kill yourself? <laughs> well, speaking as the oldest member of Bad Medicine, uh, <laughs> sometimes you look at your life and what you've done with it. You, you really think about what you're going to have a chance to do in the near future. And you, you sit, you think, and you, sometimes you just wonder why. Yeah. Uh, and that's what this sketch makes you do. I need you to leave the house. 
I need you to go for a walk in the sun. I mean, I was outside out. yesterday. It's fine. Look, I'm just having a midlife crisis. It's okay. It just happens to coincide with a the pandemic. There's no problem. Before we move on, can we just talk about like the like the Nick Nick Wiggler? I think is his name. Wiggler. Wiggler. I, I mean, I, I, it, it would have been a nice companion piece to do with this one, but I completely forgot he was in that like incredible sketch group back in the day, Kiss from Kiss from Daddy through UCB. It was like it was like him and Harris Whittles and Ugh. the guy who would later be the accountant in You're the Worst. Um, just like an incredible group, and like they've all since gone on. I mean, Harris Whittles rest in peace unfortunately but um but they've all I, and paul russ i think paul russ like they, they've all gone on to do it's like really incredible stuff so a nice epilogue to a sketch where he kills himself over his <laughs> career in comedy yeah <laughs> in real life doing very well for himself with yeah. a great body of work yeah <laughs> First times can be awkward for everything, including comedy. So why not look back at a comedy writer's first attempt at making an audience laugh? From Philly Sketchfest, have a listen to My First Sketch, the podcast introducing you to sketch comedians from around the world, starting with their first sketch. Hosted by me, Josh Hyam, we'll explore how a writer got started, what shaped their sense of humor, and where they go from here. Check out My First Sketch at myfirstsketch.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So let's let's move on to our next sketch, which is from Saturday Night Live. It is the Blue Jean Committee. Uh, this is a sketch that um, I found just by because I watch a lot of sketches on YouTube. I get suggested a lot of sketches, and this was just a random one that like I was watching something and it showed up on the side, and I like Jason Siegel, and I think he was in the little still, and so. I opened it up and watched it and was confused and in love. Uh, so here's a clip. <laughs> and it's a. No. And it's, it's a, it's a coincidence that this is Massachusetts based and that sketch. I mean, as a I'm son just of saying. Massachusetts. Wait, yeah. wait. So you, you, you had, you had not seen this. Had you seen documentary now? At this point, no, I, I had I, I've only seen bits of documentary now. I'd oh, never God. seen this one, and this predate this predates documentary. Yes, it does. Yeah. No, I know, I know. I just I just didn't realize. Okay. Yeah. Wait, is there's, the Blue Jean Committee in a documentary now? Yeah, episode? Yes, yes, yes. yeah oh, there's a whole episode. The sketch is from like 2011 or something, oh, and then I'm they did the looking whole... forward to that. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. dad and I are watching that together, so that's gonna be that's gonna be great when we get there. Yeah. Uh, this. It was, this sketch had been on our list. Of, we have a long list of sketches we should talk about. This sketch has been on there for a while, and I just thought it was odd enough that we needed time to pull this one out and talk about it. But the prettiest of them all, without a shadow of a doubt, is a six-foot-tall beauty named Lucia. She's got the big hazel eyes that make the boys go crazy-like. <laughs> But this boy right here kept his cool in the heat of the moment When he opened the door for her and she stepped into Mikey's bowling lanes You've never seen so much chivalry one broke-ass Northampton city kid And I'm talking about Massachusetts Afternoon Hanging out on the porch Drinking cinnamon beer with you All right, Massachusetts Afternoon 
So let's let's start. I think start broad, and I know it's sometimes our least favorite question to ask on this show. But is this sketch a sketch? Is this is 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 it? Cam, you look like you had a strong reaction to that question. What? Yeah, I I watched this. Um, I watched this uh, clip just now, and of course, I watched it in its entirety uh, yesterday. Uh, and that was sort of my question that I came away with. Um, for me, like my big question was, what is the joke here? And um, I don't know that it's so much a joke so much as they're presenting a feeling and a mood. And uh, I think my takeaway was, was like, it's okay to feel nice and to enjoy things and to really enjoy things that are objectively mediocre and leaving with that feeling of niceness. Cause we've all, we all have these little pleasures where we know it's uh it's not great, but we just, we get into it and we leave feeling wonderful because of this thing, you know, like it's your early evening, you're at a dive bar, you're seeing, um, uh, okay, local band, but you're, you know, you're having the time of your life. Cause you got a beer in your hand, you're with your buds and that's a 10 out of 10 night. It's yeah. more than the sum of its parts. It's the Margaritaville of sketches. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> if I may pose another question, please. Wasn't fruit plot a sketch? Because this is to me like I watched this and I'm like, this is mellow, more popular fruit blood. But fruit blood had visual jokes going throughout it. Well, so it did this. Just, like what Paul Rudd shows up, the Muppets show up. You know, for me, the everybody's looking at the, the camera. Thing in this sketch, Bobby Moynihan going, Andy, like really getting into it. Seth yeah. was talking. Seth was talking. No, it's okay. No, it's fine. Because honestly, no, seriously, I watched I watched this sketch and all I could think of was Fruit Blood to the point where I watched Haircut. Uh, I yesterday. don't even remember Fruit Oh, my God. Now I remember Fruit Blood. There you go. Oh, I hated Fruit Blood. That's there we go. But <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> Which we did in like maybe the first 10 episodes. It's it was an early episode. It, sketch. Yeah, it's an animated sketch. It's, it's a band and it's just this band playing a bunch of weird music in a bar and then sort of you see random weird famous people like uh, Stripe or whatever his name is, the bad gremlin from Gremlins is there and there's a placard that says this table reserved for Princess Diana. I think at the last sketch there's a skeleton sitting at the table but they, they do a whole bunch of weird visual stuff while this avant-garde band plays on stage and I was watching this and I'm like this is just a more it's more mellow for some reason, and I don't know why they kind of, it, it seemed like they were kind of making fun of um, the band Chicago. That's the, the it's, it's the whole like made, yacht but, rock. The whole, yeah, it's yacht thing. Rock, and, sure. I mean, they, they go on later, like when they get into um, when they actually do more detailed background, when they go on to develop this into like the, the documentary now parody, but it's really, they're targeting the Eagles specifically. Oh, okay. All right. So much so that I think in documentary now, actually, the guy who is their manager was actually the manager for the Eagles. Wow. <laughs> nice. Um, but it, it was also, I think the joke for me, kind of, was that Kristen Wiig introduces them as their band. They've got their first national tour coming up, and all they do is make specific references to stuff in Boston. And I'm like, uh, in okay. Northampton, which or is Northampton. I, I'm Northampton. very sorry, Andy. I'm very sorry. But uh, but yeah, it's, and so this is this band is going to go out on their national tour, and they're going to have this mellow vibe, and they're going to be talking to people who have no idea what they're talking about. 
and it's a great song too. It's a catchy song. It's been stuck in my head. Um, uh, the drinking cinnamon beer with you. It's a great little, great little line. And they're playing uh, real instruments. That's a Fred thing. Fred does that. Real instruments. Yeah, real I, song. I couldn't tell if Jason was actually playing the drums, but the rest of them are all actually playing. Um, oh, he was on keyboard, I think. Keyboard. Yeah. There's two Jasons. Oh, there's two oh, Jasons. Right. That's right. Sorry, Jason Sudeikis. I wasn't yes, sure if he right. was actually playing the drums. Jason Siegel was playing the keys. Uh, another great little thing, which I think was just a mistake is Keenan accidentally singing a little line when there's a break, right? There's like a rest for the rest of them. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait a minute. And now Cam, this has an appearance. You recently ran a contest on um, most popular Muppets, everyone's favorite Muppets. And the Muppets appear in this sketch. What did you, what did you think of that? Uh, you- I, I figured the Muppets must've been, uh, must been there for some reason on Saturday Night Live. And they just like, yeah, why not? Let's get them in there. I with him writing. Um, the Muppet, oh, the yeah, Muppet. this is around the, the Muppet movie. Yeah. So, of course, it made sense for them to show up to promote the Muppet movie. Uh, it's, it's fine. It was like, um, out of that context, it felt weird to see them there. It's like, oh, Muppets, I guess. Sure. <laughs> uh, but let's let's talk about the use of um, songs and music in sketch, because uh, this is one of the... Um, this was just a, a song. This There was a 10-second setup and then a song, and that was the whole scene. Um, I love using music in sketches. I love doing sketches that are songs. Um, music is such a, a cheat code for sketches. It immediately tells the audience what kind of emotional feel you want and uh, the structure of a song. It's, uh, you know... Uh, verse chorus you have that repetition in there and repetition is such a huge thing in sketch comedy uh, I try to uh, sneak repetition into as much as I can because you know when the audience leaves you want them to repeat a line and remember something and uh, using a song as a way you can repeat that chorus again and again without it feeling tag- tagged on or like crammed in there people expect that from structure of a song so, I mean, even when we started talking about it, the first thing we said is like, yeah, it's a catchy song, you know? Because we heard it four times. Yeah, right. What I like about the music in this sketch is that it's not really, it's not quite like a funny song. Like there are some some lines in the song are kind of silly. The song itself is, is, is like you said, it's a vessel to set the mood and to play up the contrast, I think, between the way the audience is reacting to what this song is. And, and it's, it, I think it's a really interesting way to use music in a sketch rather than, cause I like, I've written funny songs before and like, I was in a comedy acapella group. And so that's like, but that whole thing is just like telling jokes in songs. And that's not yeah. what this was, which I really liked. It's like, it's interesting. And, and I think as you emphasize, it creates a mood, it creates an idea. Um, and then they play with that. And you play with your expectations. There are jokes in the song. Yeah, there's there are jokes in the song, but I, I, it's not like you're like waiting to hear what's the next line in this song as a joke. It's kind of like some of these specific yeah. references, but I don't find I wouldn't call this a funny song. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's not like a Weird Al song parody or original. Now, the no. show for the show um, documentary now when they did the two part episode, they did make an album. It's on Spotify. You can listen. I was to listening it. to it before we actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. those songs have more jokes in them where, you know, you, it's a song, it's, an, it's a parody of that style from that era, but the lyrics are funny in some way or telling a story or trying to do something yeah. where it should make you giggle as you listen to it. 
Um, so definitely go go on. We'll put a link in the uh, the podcast notes, but definitely check it but out. You didn't you didn't think the song was funny at all? Like the like the reference to like the six foot tall lady with the Northampton legs. Like the gifted <laughs> lyricist part where they break and they talk and then they start singing. That to me was funny. The cutaways to the different people reacting, Andy holding milk and drinking it. You know, like stuff like that to me made me laugh more yeah. than the song itself. So the song jokes were the little jokes and everything else was the spikes for me. And so it was harder for me to be like, all right, what's going to, well, let me hear what they're saying. I was more like looking for the next joke than I was listening to the lyrics. Yeah, it's like when you when you break down a sketch, like uh, I'm talking mostly for my work, uh, every scene usually has like two to four big jokes, big moments, and then you just hang all these little jokes off them as connective tissue. Like the jokes in this scene all felt like those sort of like connective jokes, like adding more flavor, more depth. Uh, like I have a hard time pinpointing like what are these big jokes that are in this sketch? What is the story being told? It's all a bunch of like little funny things. Yeah, there's a six, there's six woman they're all talking about, uh, you know, singing about cinnamon beer, like it's a thing everyone knows. It's like, no, it's not. That's not a beer I drink. It's, it's very specific. It's hey, a bunch of place writing love letters to you. Yeah, it's a every everything is like pleasant and charming, and you know, I I had a smile on my face throughout the whole thing. You're seeing other people enjoying music. That's a great feeling, but I still struggle to say like what what is what are they trying to say with this? Uh, what, but was it? But then was it? And this is probably background research we should have done as we're talking about it now. But like, it, it seems like it's a sketch that may have been a function of like its context in the broader show. And in the lineup. So, I mean, is it a sketch that was ever really meant at that juncture to stand on its own? I don't know. I mean, I, this sketch in a live show, it, it couldn't be a closer. I mean, it's, well, maybe it could, depending on what you want the show to be like, but it's definitely got a place in like, as kind of like a palate cleanse in the middle of the show. If you just do something like really dark and you want to like get the audience feeling good, this definitely would make an audience feel great. They'd, they'd get into the song and they're ready for what's next. It's, well, I uh, think you... You also have the possibility, if you wanted to, of, of making this kind of a runner where you start with this and then you track the career of the Blue Jean Committee over the course of the show. Oh, you mean like they did in Documentary Now? So? Yes, I'm assuming that's what they did in Documentary <laughs> But like if you if you broke this up into, into a few sketches, you'd have this at the beginning. You'd have another one where you see they're having problems. You'd have the breakup sketch and then you'd have the reunion sketch at the end. Where they it, sound, it's, it sounds like you're writing additional scenes that have the jokes in them. Yeah. Whereas this is like sort of like a, a jokeless scene that just introduces the concept of these characters laying the base for future yeah. Yeah. story. I mean, and, and that's the, like, well, now I, I, since I know that they're documentary now, but that's, that's like, it felt that way to me. And again, like, I hate to keep doing this, but to go back to Fruit Blood, there are seven different Fruit Blood sketches and the payoff doesn't come to the last one. Like yeah, sucks. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no. Fruit Blood is, is hard to compare because it's an animation, and every character is drawn. You know, the, it, the whole thing is such a visual, heavy, joke laden sketch that even though the music is great and the music is funny, there's so much stuff happening visually. Where I think this sketch is very Portlandia in a sense, where it's almost like a vibe, in a sense. And that's the sketch. That's the joke. It's this vibe where maybe in the pitch room, they're like these guys, like you said, EK, like they're going on tour uh, and they're 
they're clearly setting themselves up for failure because their whole gimmick is local and now they're going on a national tour. Um, that could have been it, but I think the vibe is really the joke. Being able to join nice things is okay. <laughs> and now, uh, this is obviously a, a very subjective question, but kind of after we've talked through all this, is this a good sketch? I mean, I mean, I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm I, yeah. it's subjective, but I'm curious about if people think this is a good sketch or not. Well, it, it, I came away from it with a pleasant feeling. The minute you said there was Documentary Now episodes or there were Documentary Now episodes, I got excited and I just bought the music. So, I mean, is it good? I don't know. Is it effective? Yes. Okay. You just spent money and gave it to them. So that's, that's an effective sketch in my mind. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think it totally depends on what... Is it, is it totally clear and effective as a standalone timeless sketch? Probably not. But I think if it's if it's in the context of like closing out a show where Jason Siegel was hosting and it was to plug the Muppets movie and there was like a Paul Rudd reference earlier from like what's the movie they were in together? I love you, man. I love you, man. Um I mean, it's all just kind of like like sewing all those elements together in the end of like kind of just a feel good, silly sketch. Yeah, it definitely definitely isn't a bad sketch. I didn't feel bad at all, or I didn't feel like I wasted my time watching it. Would I go back and watch it again? I have no urge to, but you know, in five years, if someone's um, if someone has says something that reminds me of that lyric, I might go look look it up because I heard that chorus five times and it lives in my head forever now because it's a catchy song. I did like that they cast cinnamon beer as like the summery breezy Fort <laughs> Pounder <Yeah>. beer, <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's the. That's not it, bro. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the end of the show. Um, Cam, thank you for much, so much for coming on. Now, as we ask all our guests, could you come up with a rating system for how we're going to rate these sketches today? Uh, do we rate them using the same system or does every sketch? Using the same system, yeah. But yeah. oftentimes the rating system is based off of one of the sketches. That's totally... Okay, um, I think we should uh, give them a rating out of uh, out of ten failed artists. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Ooh. Well, why don't you start? So, for uh, Gungan style, Gundam style parody, how many failed artists would you give this sketch? Uh, this one lives in my hall of fame forever. I give it a nine and a half failed artists out of ten. Nice, nice, Seth. That's a good question. Um, wait, wait, which failed artists? Like, are there artists? You wouldn't know them. They failed. Yeah. <laughs> um. There's some people who failed very famously. Okay. I, there. There may be a point of reference here that we're not aware of. I just want to. I just want to know, because like maybe maybe failed artists one through three carry more weight for me as failed artists than like can seven through ten. You know. Okay. Let's know. let's just pull out like ten reserve members from the polyphonic spree or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Okay. The, Dancing guy from Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. <laughs> Another band from Boston. <laughs> you don't say. Boston strong, Andy. Boston strong. Jesus. Uh, all right. So, hmm. how's your football team, by the way? I don't know. It's been really, it's been really hard to have six since 2001. Oh, I wasn't so asking because I actually wanted an answer, Andy. I just wanted to see you twist and suffer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Seth, how many failed artists would you give this sketch? Okay, uh, so I I I like it, but it also uh, it also hits me right in the feels and takes me to a a, a dark place. Uh, so I can't I can't give it a I can't give it Cam's rating. Uh, I will give it um, I will give it an eight. I think right. eight failed artists out of ten. Eight. Uh, Ek. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna slot right in the middle an eight point five failed artist just because yeah similar to Seth I have this feeling about what the hell I'm doing with comedy almost every single day of my life but I have yet to take a bunch of pills followed with chased by a can of Coke to solve that problem <laughs> yeah that's that's not gonna happen <laughs> no I do it with Pepsi please or like there Mountain Dew because I'm from the Midwest <laughs> we, all right no that's that we shouldn't joke about that. Even though the sketch did. I mean, it's fine. I mean, even though the sketch, I mean, I'm totally going to joke about it. Who am I kidding? (laughs) I love, I love jokes about death. (laughs) Thank you, Emily Dickinson. Um, The the turn got me. I didn't see it coming. Um, I always ask myself, like, what did my parents accomplish at the age that I'm at? It's a question that runs through my head all the time. I love the Jedi ghost at the end. For me, it is uh, a perfect 10 out of 10, just classic sketch. I wow. give it 10 uh, failed NBA rappers' careers. Ooh, failed Ooh. NBA rappers. Where does Dame Ooh. Lillard fit on? Is he a failed NBA rapper? Is he a good NBA rapper? The only successful rapper is Shaq. Let's be honest. What about, oh, I was going to say, Shaq is kind of the go-to example. Here's what I don't understand about Shaq's rap career. He put out one album. And then the next album he put out was the best of Shaq. Like, <laughs> as long as both of them had the track "My Biological Didn't Bother," then I'm in. Uh, <laughs> what I would like is if the best of Shaq just rearranged the tracks, or just it just cut <laughs> two or three that they were like in hindsight, like, no, nah, that wasn't Shaq's best work. We're just gonna re-release the eight of the ten tracks. <laughs> I, and I think I would give this one, uh, I think nine for me. Like, you know, I think you've kind of gotten at all the stuff that's great about it. Uh, and it, 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 it just works so well. I love the layering in this sketch. Um, all of these different beats, all these different layers, I really love. Um, and his face at the end, um, whether it's a real emotion or not, um, the kind of the nod and the smile, um, are great and it tie- puts a nice bow on it, bringing it back. You know, where it, it's it is so effective to find a great button for a sketch, and that's a great button uh, for this sketch. Uh, and now I will on give to- I will give the joke. He owned a house. Did he own a house? He did own a house. I will give that joke <laughs> like thirteen out of ten. Fourteen. <laughs> so, good. so good. Now you use the past tense there. <laughs> um, and then for the blue jean committee. Um, I think we talked to this sketch. This sketch made me cackle the first time I saw it because it was so, it was just so different because I feel like I'm watching so many sketches that are all about escalation and getting, getting bigger. And you know, when we're teaching, that's what we're teaching. When I'm writing, that's often what I think about when I'm writing. And this just took a totally different tact. And I, and I really love that. I'm going to give this one an eight out of 10, um, eight out of 10 failed artists. Uh, Isaiah. Um, I would, I was not a fan of the sketch the first time I saw it. I had to watch it a couple times to really get into it. I still think the biggest joke for me is the cut to Paul Rudd, um, which I, I don't think it's, it's something that's written in the script. So it's, 
I, I, oh, I think those are all scripted. Paul <laughs> <laughs> not just going to be sitting there randomly on stage with a glass of milk in a wig. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they probably says cut to someone and they say, all right, you're going to be number two. But like no one was sitting down saying, hey, call Paul Rudd. We need to cut to him. Oh, he so was already know. on the show. We've established this. We've established <laughs> So for me, I, I give it like a – Six out of ten failed Dancing with the Stars losers. Okay. Okay. Oh, wait, including Tucker Carlson? He was on there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, Especially I think we him. can safely exclude Tucker Carlson from everything. Okay. Okay. Uh, EK? Um, I'm, I'm going to opt out of ranking this one because truth be told, I didn't have any recollection or awareness that it was a sketch before it was the documentary now parody. And so my, my vision of it or my perception of it is so colored by that, that I, I have trouble viewing the sketch independently. Fair enough. Uh, Seth? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and give this one seven, uh, seven out of 10 as a sketch. I think. Uh, the music goes somewhere else. And again, I am excited to watch the documentary now episodes, but I need to stress that two of those failed artists, one of them is Corey Feldman as a rapper. And uh, the, uh, that's right. And the other one is uh, William McGonagall, a famously bad Scots poet. That was, that's my first thought when I think failed artists is wow. William McGonagall. Wow. Look Old him up. He's terrible. Oh, Billy. <laughs> it's uh, the- but it's it's the literary equivalent of ugh, smell this. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It it absolutely is. All right, uh, and Cam, what did you think? Uh, I think this sketch started at a seven and immediately just plateaued all the way to the end at that seven. So I'm going to give it a seven out of ten failed artists. Uh, it's it's nothing groundbreaking, nothing overly memorable, but. It's harmless. It's fine, and I was smiling the whole time. So it, it's a okay way to spend, uh, you know, five minutes. Uh, seven out of ten failed artists, and um, I just want to say, right now, I'm looking at zero failed artists. So uh, great ranking on uh, on sketch nerds right now. Mama, <laughs> I made That's- it. <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that uh, that brings us to the end of the wait, show. Wait, wait. Can I just can we just point out for a second how um, like Cam in particular managed to keep this particular episode very like the discussion was very like like high value and and substantive and uh, you know sometimes it doesn't go that way. <laughs> so we appreciate it, is what we're saying. Yeah. 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 Uh, I guess you'll have to just like lay some fart sound effects over every time sure. I speak and post <laughs> just to uh, really dumb it down. It's <laughs> like the sad trombone like sound effect. Yeah. If you want jokes, come see a Cam Wiley show. I'm here to talk sketch. <laughs> well, uh, it's like, you didn't pay me to be funny. I volunteered <laughs> to come on and have an academic conversation. You want the goods, you cough up the money. <laughs> That's right. Yes. No, you're worth yeah. All right. Well, uh, Kim, uh, where can our listeners find you out in the world? Where, uh, if they want to come find your comedy, what's the best place to do that? Um, check me out at Cameron Wiley on Twitter and um, go find me on YouTube. Uh, if you go into your favorite search engine and hit Cam plus Wiley plus YouTube, I'm sure I pop up in the first 10 results. 
It's a, it's me, it's a real estate agent in New York, and it's a, a Scottish child who collects monster cards. We're the only Cameron Wileys out there putting out content. Uh, Wait, but so, who comes first? The, the real estate agent or the child or you? No, I have, I have the best SEO out there. Um, <laughs> okay. So you have to dig a bit, bit to find a little Scottish boy, but he's out there. All right, well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Sketch Nerds. Thank you very much to our guest, Cam Wiley. We had a great time having you on. Look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. Um, uh, For Seth Alcorn, uh, Elizabeth E.K. Kemp, and Isaiah Hedden, I'm Andy Weld. Thank you for listening to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C., The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, Fair Use Exemption, for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, D.C.'s best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit BadMedicineComedy.com.